Now, I don't know if you are a weather expert or not, but back in Jesus's time, most people were. You know, red sky at night, shepherd's delight, red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning, that kind of thing. People knew how to interpret the clouds and the winds, what that meant for the forthcoming weather. But then Jesus, he suddenly delivers this stinging rebuke to the people he's speaking to. Verse 56, he says, hypocrites, hypocrites, you, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Jesus says, you know, you know how to interpret the cumulonimbus and the stratus clouds. So how come you're refusing to do this with world events? You need to start looking around, says Jesus, at world events and interpret this present time. And without doubt, Jesus would say the same to us. Our present time, it has been full of a major world event that we need to interpret, the COVID-19 pandemic. We can't just sort of put our head in the sand to it, can't even put our head in the clouds to it. No, what are we supposed to learn from this crisis? How do you and I, how do we interpret this present time? Why did a loving God allow the coronavirus to happen? Why? Well, first, let's acknowledge the fact that the fact that we're, we're even asking this question, it assumes that God exists. Some people say that the fact that suffering exists in our world, it is proof that God doesn't exist at all. But I think that is totally the wrong assumption. Rather, the fact that there is suffering in our world and that we're bothered by it shows us that it is more likely that God does exist. Because there's no point asking why did such and such a thing happen if there is nobody to ask. Now, the fact that you and I, we cry out, why? Why does this happen? The fact that we do that shows that we have a faith in God, someone who we believe should be in charge of things. I don't mean to be crass, but if there really is no God, then just as we recognise in the animal kingdom when we're watching a David Attenborough documentary, we, we should see the same in the human kingdom with the coronavirus. We should just see the survival of the fittest. That's what's going on. That's all there is to it. Just the survival of the fittest if there is no God. But rather the the fact that you and I, that we are concerned about the suffering that has taken place, huge suffering, the fact that we are asking the why question at all, it points towards God's existence rather than his non-existence. You see, the thing that you and I, that we need to question as a result of the coronavirus, it's not God's existence. We don't need to question that. Rather, we need to question not God's existence, but God's character. God's character. Why did a loving God allow the coronavirus to happen? Because there's certainly been loads of suffering already, hasn't there? So far, 13 million recorded cases globally and around 600,000 deaths globally. In the UK alone, so far, there's been 45,000 deaths. And then there's more, the people who've lost jobs, the mental health challenges, the surge in demand at food banks, the threat of a second wave, the loss of so much for so many. Why does God allow it all? Why, if he is a good, loving, powerful God? And as I seek to answer that question, you might be asking, well, who does Jago think he is, presuming to speak for God as to why the coronavirus has happened? And that is a fair thought. 
you were right, totally right, that my view as to why God allowed this pandemic to happen, it counts for nothing compared to God's view. But the reason I hope you'll agree that I'm not being presumptuous is because I don't think that God is silent on what he is doing in his world. You know, God hasn't suddenly sort of spoken some personal message to me. He hasn't sort of sent it in a bottle or via pigeon post or on my Instagram feed. No, he hasn't done that. But what he has done is he's given me and he's given you the Bible, God's word to us. And so my aim in the next 12, 13 minutes is not to sort of dream up my own ideas about what God might be doing. My aim is to listen to God's word in the Bible and to commend to you what I hear in this book. And it seems to me that there are three fundamental reasons why the coronavirus has happened, just from our Bible passage today. And the first reason is this. The coronavirus, it causes us to look forwards. To look forwards. You know, it's made us sit up, hasn't it? It's made us sit up and take notice that our futures are fragile. Most of us will probably know somebody who has died or at least gone to hospital because of the virus. We, we all know the Prime Minister was in intensive care. And do you remember what he said afterwards, after he'd come out of hospital? This is what he said. He said it could have gone either way. He knew he could have died. Or how about what Carrie Simons, his fiance, said? She said there were times last week that were very dark indeed. The staff at St Thomas's Hospital have been incredible. I will never, ever be able to repay you and I will never stop thanking you. And so as we seek to interpret these times, we recognise that God is using this time to, to make us look forwards, to look forwards to the future and see the fragility of our lives, just as Boris and Carrie saw. And then to go sort of one step further and to look to the future and in response to that fragility of the future to see the importance of being at peace with God now. You see, Jesus paints this picture in our Bible passage of, of two people. They are at loggerheads and they are seriously at loggerheads because they are going off to court to try and resolve the dispute. And Jesus says in a human crisis situation, we should look to resolve the dispute before it's too late. He says, be reconciled on the way to court, says Jesus. But Jesus is using this picture, this picture of people heading off to court to help us interpret the times, to help us interpret our times, for us to recognise that we are all naturally, we're in a divine crisis situation as well as a human crisis situation. Because we are naturally at loggerheads with God. You know, we see the fragility of our lives all the more starkly with the virus. And as we look to the future, we need to recognise the importance of being reconciled with God now before it's too late. So the coronavirus crisis, it causes us first to look forwards and recognise our fragility in life and before God. Secondly, the coronavirus causes us to look in, to look in. You see, there are two national tragedies. There are, there are two times of suffering that Jesus is mentioning in the next verses. The first act is an act of terrorism. It's an act of terrorism by Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. He's murdered a group of Galileans and he's caused outrage by mixing these dead men's blood with the blood of animal sacrifices. It's revolting. And then the second tragedy, the second one, is a tower in Siloam that has collapsed, killing 18 people. So Jesus is talking about two well-known tragedies of the time. The first, obviously the direct result of human evil, the other not. But both of them are tragedies. 
and both are causing and have caused death and suffering just as the coronavirus crisis has. But what's the important point that Jesus makes as he talks about these two acts of suffering? He says it twice. Look at the verses. Look at what he says. First of all, verse two. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way by being murdered? I tell you, says Jesus, no. Or look at verse four. He says, those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. Jesus is making it clear that when suffering and tragedy comes, when the coronavirus hits, there is a tendency for us to look in at ourselves, to look in at our hearts and to ask, what have we done wrong to deserve this sickness or suffering? And Jesus says, please be clear. He says there is no direct link between suffering and sin. It's not a case of sort of God meeting out bad punishments to those who've done particularly bad things. You are no more sinful because you catch coronavirus. Neither are you more immune from the danger of the virus if you think you're a particularly sort of holy religious person. But rather, what does Jesus say? And this is, this is shocking. You may not like what I'm about to say, but Jesus, he doesn't say this. He doesn't say that those people who have died in Pontius Pilate's evil act or those people who've died in the tower collapse or indeed those people who've died for, from coronavirus. He doesn't say all these people are innocent victims. That's what you often hear, isn't it? After, after a tragedy, you hear talk of innocent victims. He doesn't say that. No, what does he say? He says, do you think they were worse sinners? Do you think they were more guilty? Implication, those who died were not more guilty of sin, but they were still guilty of sin. Just as all of us, you and I, we are guilty of sin. You see, the coronavirus, it causes us to look in. And as we do, as we look in, we recognise we are all sinful before a holy God. And then third, the coronavirus, it causes us to look forwards, to look in, and third, it causes us to look up. Many of you, you'll know C.S. Lewis's famous quote about suffering. This is what he writes. He says, we can ignore pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But you know, what is a less well-known quote is what C.S. Lewis writes just a page or two later in the same book. He continues and he says this. No doubt pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument. It may lead to final and unrepented rebellion, but it gives the only opportunity the bad man can have for amendment. By that, he just means any of us who are rejecting God. He says suffering removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of the rebel soul. And C.S. Lewis, he's only paraphrasing what Jesus says in our passage. What does Jesus say twice, end of verse three, end of verse five, he says, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now those may seem really tough words to say to those who are suffering, unless you repent, you'll perish. They may seem tough words to say to all of us in the midst of this pandemic. But God, he uses the coronavirus to plant a flag of truth Within the fortress of our rebel souls, repent or you too will perish. 
Now repent, it's an old-fashioned word. It simply means turn around. It means change direction. You know, the government has turned around. It's, it's changed direction on its view on face masks. Will you turn around? Will you change direction in your view of God? Now, that there are other consequences of the coronavirus. I think it's caused us not just to sort of look forwards and look in and look up, but also it's caused us to, to look out, hasn't it? The coronavirus has done what governments, what village fates, what neighbourhood watch groups have failed to achieve. It has brought people together. It's caused people to look out for their neighbours in ways that we hadn't seen before. And that's been so vital and wonderful, looking out and helping others. But fundamentally, why has it happened? Well, it's happened so that you and I, that we might look forwards and realise our fragility. So that we might look in and recognise our sin. And so that we might look up to God to receive rescue and relationship. Two weeks ago, I took the funeral of someone. And after the funeral, one of the funeral directors came up to me and he said, can I have a word with you? Now, he was this sort of this big guy with big muscles, tough guy, just like me. And uh, he, was, he used to be a, a London black cab driver. And he, he said to me, he said, something spoke to me there. He said, normally... I'm on an autopilot as I just go through funeral after funeral after funeral. You know, he must have gone through hundreds and hundreds of funerals as a funeral director. But he said to, he said to me, something's been happening the last few months with everything that's been going on with the coronavirus. He said, I've become more open. I'm, I'm opening up. I didn't used to be open, but I've become more open. And as I heard what you said, he said to me, he said it spoke to me. Something was going on. I don't know if God or someone was, something was happening. And he said, I'm open to it. It didn't used to be, but I'm open. And since that time, you know, we've communicated and he is beginning to think about the claims of the one who didn't just die on a cross for him, but the one who has conquered death. The one who can get him and any one of us through death because he has gone through death himself. The one who promises us, if we're with him, who promises us, that beyond death we will know an eternity free from suffering and mourning and pain and crying and death. And there may be some of you listening that you can relate to that funeral director. You too may have been coming more open. You may have been hearing God's megaphone, if you like, calling out to you, whispering your name during the last months as, as you've just been thinking about the big questions of life during this coronavirus crisis. And can I urge you, if that's you, don't block out the call. Don't, as it were, sort of pull on your noise-cancelling headphones and just get on with life and ignore God's call, but listen to God's call. And can I encourage you to respond to him? And I reckon that the big thing that will be stopping some today, that will be stopping you from responding to God's call, as well as the pull of distraction just to get on with life, the big thing that may be stopping you is what I said at the start, that you're not convinced about God's character. That you're not convinced about God's goodness and love for you in the face of all the suffering that you see around, particularly with this pandemic. And if those are your thoughts, can I encourage you with this? That before God, before he calls you to look forwards, to look in, to look up to him, before all that, God himself has looked down. God has looked down in love to you and to me. The most famous verse in the whole of the Bible is John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world, the world, that's you and me. 
He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, Jesus, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus said, repent or you too will perish. And if we repent, if we believe in Jesus, we will not perish, but have eternal life. Because of God's love for you, God looked down. And in Jesus, he has come down 2,000 odd years ago. And he has died on a cross in your place so that you can be rescued from perishing and so that you can have relationship with God despite your sin. You see, at the cross, as we look back to the cross, we see a suffering God. We see a suffering God. He's suffering because he loves you and me so much. He wants to die. He's willing to die to pay for our sin because he wants you and I to be free from all suffering for eternity. The famous 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon, he once said this. He said, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace God's hand, we must trust God's heart. Some of you, you may be going through a time of personal suffering at the moment. It may be connected to corona. It may have nothing to do with it at all. But if in any way you doubt God's goodness today, if you cannot trace God's hand in your own circumstances, or if you cannot trace God's hand in the circumstances of this world at this time, and let's be frank, that can be tough. Can I still urge you, even if you cannot trace God's hand, can I urge you this day to trust God's heart? The heart of the one who was prepared to look down and to come down and to suffer and die in your can you trust his heart today? I'm going to pray now. And I'm going to pray a prayer that you might like to pray if you want to repent. You want to turn and believe in God. You want to put your trust in him. Shall we pray? And if you do want to pray this prayer, just echo it in your heart as I pray it line by line. Dear Lord God, I'm sorry for ignoring your call and turning my back on you. Thank you for looking down on me and in Jesus coming and suffering instead of me, taking the punishment for my sin. Today I look forward and I recognise my fragility. I look in and I recognise my sin. And I look up and I turn to you and ask you to rescue me. Lord God, may I know relationship with you by your spirit. A relationship starting now and going on beyond death. Where there's an eternity free from all suffering and pain and death. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.